The Agora podcast is covered by a BIPCOT no-gov license. Use and reuse is free and encouraged by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at BIPCOT.org. operation of the machine becomes so odious makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part you can't even passively take part and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels upon the levers by all the apparatus and you've got to make it stop you were born free you got fucked out of half of it and you wave a flag celebrate <laughs> Central authority has just embedded right in it uh, its own problem, and that is that it means a few people make decisions for many people. All right, folks, welcome back to the Agora podcast. It's Penguin coming at you uh, from uh, the coast of Virginia. As always, I'm joined with my co-host, Seth Macora. We're here talking about agorism, uh, localism, radical decentralization, and anti-authoritarian concepts. And we have uh, another episode with a great guest that we're able to find for you. We have to have an awesome conversation here. Um, Seth, if you don't have any announcements for the show, um, any pressing ones or any, anything new to update, then uh, we can launch into that. No, no announcements. Um, today we've got Awe um, from I Hate the Antichrist podcast. Um, you can also find him on Twitter. Um, today we're going to be talking about uh, religion, mostly. Um, Awe, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, it's great to be invited to another podcast uh, for once instead of just doing my own. So it's cool to branch out. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, right on, man. Um, uh, always sounds really familiar, that that name, now that I keep hearing it, you know, aloud. Um, just real quick, where does that come from? Have I, have I heard of you without having heard of you before? Um, probably not. Um, I mean, I'm on Twitter, obviously. Um, it's... Uh, have you ever used the Dvorak keyboard layout? I know you're into some more niche tech stuff. I'm yeah, just just barely, but I do know what you're talking about. Is it, it that's what that's like a QWERTY type of yeah, deal on? Yeah, there? exactly. So Awe AOEUI is like the QWERTY of the Dvorak keyboard layout. So in, on the home row, the left five letters are AOEUI. That's how I came up with it. Oh, cool. Well, that well, that um, pronunciation of it uh, has a ring to it too. Uh, Sounds like Yahweh. Yeah, but. it's it's a slight reference to Yahweh. It's like an homage. So, uh, tell us about you. Like, what uh, what's your podcast about? And then, um, you know, how did you get to what you believe in? And 
what do you believe in? Yeah, thanks. So uh, currently, I'm, as you guys said, I'm the host of the I Hate the Antichrist podcast. On that podcast, what I like to do is I like to find guests who who have an expertise or have a focus on some specific thing that I agree with them is a significant downturn uh, to, to the world. So whether that be scientism gone awry in the form of, of the modern grain-fed diet or uh, the creation of uh heavily squishy marshmallows shoes that end up damaging your back um these are things that i consider to be part of the body of the antichrist so i find guests to come on and help me complain about that sort of stuff on my podcast um i got into that from uh well politically i'm i'm an inner i'm an ugh, sorry i'm an christian anarchist so i uh I'm an anarchist. I believe in anti-state philosophies. I'm an anti-authoritarian, and uh, I'm also a Christian. So I, in a certain sense, I'm a monarchist, but I essentially believe the hierarchy is directly between the individual and God, um, as opposed to, you know, between the individual and a hierarchy of other individuals with God being at the top. Um, it is... There's only two levels. There is the bottom, which is you, and there is God, which is the top. Yeah, I mean, I, I really um, identify with that. I, I think that's a good framework, whether you want to call it anarchism or not. I, I personally, for myself, don't, but um, it, it's exactly that. So while it's certainly not a framework of no gods, no masters, there is between, between I don't know if I would say this absolutely, but I mean, absolute minimal if at all uh hierarchical structures depending on the framework you're looking at between you not and the on creator. Earth. yeah yeah exactly and it's not on earth it's not a, and, and god is certainly not anarchism on earth monarchy to heaven that's that's it i am a citizen of the kingdom of god that is my kingdom but that kingdom is not of this world so while i am on earth i operate under a mantle of anarchism to other man okay well that's really cool i don't know if um, i don't talk about this a lot on the pod um there's a lot of things we don't talk about on the pod because we'd like to focus on some frameworks frameworks and kind of throw out others otherwise you get a really you know jumbled jumbled message and discussion but um i'm a practicing muslim i'm i you know depending on who you're comparing compare me to i think to the average listener i'm a fairly or very religious guy um and maybe compared to a lot of muslims i maybe might not be but i'm certainly very you know observant to a large extent. So I think this would be a really fruitful kind of discussion about something that we really don't go into a whole lot on the pod. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. That sounds awesome. So you, the way you describe your relationship with God, you sound to me uh, very similar to um, Quakers, the way that you described um, the lack of... So when you say a lack of hierarchy between you, yourself, and um, God, Hey, Alsec here. I wanted to tell you about agoristacres.com. They're a seed company, uh, friends of the show. Uh, this is where I get my seeds from uh, here at the homestead. Um, they've got a lot, a big, wide variety of seeds. Um, they got free shipping on orders over uh, 20 bucks. It's fast shipping. Um, 
if you place an order, it'll be shipped next business day. A lot of cool packaging. And you can pay with uh, crypto right on the site. Um, and they're, they're agorists. And uh, they also believe in the, the importance of producing your own food. Um, and um, they have a wide variety of seeds that you won't necessarily find in a lot of other places. A lot of cool varieties. Interesting um, seeds. And they can, if there's something that you're looking for, they can probably get it for you too. So um, check out agoristacres.com. And if you use promo code uh, Agora10, uh, you'll save yourself 10%. Thanks, guys. Are you referring to like a, a lack of a formal church structure as well, or um, do you not see that as a as a hierarchy? In um, the the church structure should should be a, a conglomeration of of the people of God. It shouldn't be uh, a, so much a formal structure as in there are leaders and there are followers. It shouldn't be so much like that. Maybe within a family setting, you know, with with fathers and mothers leading children but i mean beyond that there might be a judge who deliberates on uh disputes um but other than that i i see no need for for there to be the church to have to have a hierarchical disposition uh within itself i love it yeah um and that's a more pertinent question to christianity i mean a, a little bit more pertinent question because you know some strains historically going back to the very beginning have really focused on a very strongly hierarchical church structure yes. so it's a valid question but of course that's also a philosophical question i think how do you um compare a kind of anarchic philosophical viewpoint with the with christianity so not only is it a commentary on like uh church hierarchy or like the organized so-called organized religion but it's also the philosophical question of like anarchy with with having the one master as the creator yes that's exactly right and most of where i get that from from a biblical perspective and uh i mean islam has the torah included with it so uh, I, that's right right um i'm not to an extent to okay. an extent absolutely it was definitely uh it was definitely scripture in the time of uh, in the time of Moses and so forth. Yeah. Um, well, in First Samuel eight, uh, it's described that uh, the people begging for uh, a king was seen as a rejection of God. Where, where Samuel thought it was a rejection of himself, God let him know, no, they're rejecting me, so they can have a king, but they're breaking the covenant essentially when they cry out for my name, I will not hear them. And they will have all these horrors brought upon them by their king, and they don't see it, and they will read, they will cry out to me, and I won't hear them. And I wish to sort of reinstate that that covenant, and so the, the sort of idea of a high, any sort of hierarchical structure that may exist in a society that I would like heavily uh, mirrors the system of judges, from from the time of the Israelites in the Torah. Yeah, I'm familiar with that passage, and it's it's probably one of my favorites. Um, and just to elaborate on what you were just saying, the the judges that they were talking about were essentially wise elders in the community, exactly who, who could be trusted to solve disputes. It was not like a formal judge that we would think of today. 
And now, while I'm an atheist, two two of my favorite Christian anarchists are <clears throat> obviously Tolstoy, but also a fellow named Ben Stone, and he had a podcast for a while. He's he's a Quaker, and um, he made the argument that <clears throat> the 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 state is literally the realm of Satan, and he was not meaning that um, figuratively. He yeah, means that I in agree. an actual. And he quotes the um, in while he's making this argument, he quotes that passage from from Samuel eight. But he also uh, I don't know what the passage is, but there's the story where Satan um, comes and takes Jesus, and he says, "Look, I'll I'll give you if you just side with me, I will give you." All of this. Yeah, and the what, temptation of Christ. Yes, the temptation. What he shows them is all the governments and kingdoms of the world throughout time. Now, Ben Stone makes this argument that either you think that Jesus was a fool and that Satan was merely pulling a con on him, or would Satan would literally have to have ownership of those things to be able to make that offer to G to Jesus. So one of those two things must be true. Either Satan owns those, the, uh, um, all the owns the governments, meaning those are of his domain, or you think that Satan was just doesn't own those things. And he was just pulling a con on Jesus. And Ben Stone makes the argument that no, he, you couldn't pull a con on Jesus. He literally owns all of those things, meaning governments and kingdoms and, and uh, armies and all these sorts of things on earth. So therefore those things must be the domain of the devil was at least his argument. Now that's a pretty compelling. I'm, I'm not a theist, but that is a pretty compelling argument to me from, uh, you know, from a um, looking at a Christian perspective from the outside. Yeah, that's that's a pretty interesting concept. I'm not sure how that gels with inconsistency with the rest of the Bible, um, mostly because God is supposed to be the king of kings, the authority of authorities, the one who also grants authority to that which is below. But then you also have the tangle of him being the one who's on a certain level granted that authority to Lucifer. Um, so, I mean... It could be God, then Lucifer, then the governments of the world um, on, on a certain degree. So, I mean, I, I think it, it, it probably has. I, I haven't gone through that passage with the uh, in, in the Greek context yet. I need to. Um, I'm I've been going through the Bible with the uh, interlinear edition, cross checking basically every noun and verb that come through. Um with with every other instance the interlinear bible is the most comprehensive way to read the bible it's a it's a little bit slow to get through but if you want to make sure you don't get any mistakes from translations that's that's the way to go uh anyway i haven't got to the temptation of christ there yet but uh if if we look at the translation um we could probably pick it apart more and find more of the uh of the truth behind that yeah, fair enough. Um, and, and I've, I mean, I'm not a scholar and I have not translated the Bible. I have read the Bible a few times, but um, that being said, this kind of leads me into a, a slightly different 
um, way of looking at this in the sense that, well, so a little bit on my background. I used to be a very militant atheist. I I really despised religion because you look at the the um, it's very easy to look at the negative effects that have come from religion, you know, wars and atrocities and this sort of thing. But um, the you know the, the older I, I get and the more I sort of look at history, um, there's a lot of speaking as an anarchist. There is a lot of benefit that has come from people acting upon their religious beliefs now a couple examples of what i mean like um, a lot of the anti-war movement in the united states um at least in uh, the in the um 20th century was originally mostly uh catholics uh, the anti-war yes. the anti-nuclear armament movement that was all started by mostly catholics now go going further back in history and even to the 15 and 1600s you had the Quakers were for universal suffrage and anti-slavery and anti-war pacifism back then to the point where they're being killed for it. They're dying for what they believed in. And, um, you know, even modern day, there's a pastor who's famous, um, worked with food, not bombs. He, I think he's in Texas. Can't remember. He was arrested like, I don't know, dozens of times for feeding the homeless because it was illegal to do so. So I can respect, um, I mean, I respect people's religious beliefs, but I can respect the outcomes of um, foregoing um, the state, the actions of the state um, and doing good work because of someone's religious beliefs. This to me is, is, um, very valuable and it changed the way I looked at religion overall. I wasn't, I'm not necessarily ready to, <laughs> you know, um, say I believe in any of these sort of things, but I, I can respect that, um, that perspective and I can respect that outcome. Now you got a lot of churches that are waving flags and cheering on war. That's also the case, but yeah. it is in some ways a double-edged sword from me speaking as like an atheist, just looking at this sort of thing. Hey, it's Zach. I wanted to tell you guys about Cozy Graphics. She is a uh, uh, she's local to me. She's in our Freedom Cell. Uh, very like-minded individual. Uh, she is starting a, a graphics company. Uh, so this spot is for all your you entrepreneurs out there for your graphics and advertising needs. Call Cozy Graphics. She she provides creative custom solutions like logo design brochures and flyers leave behind cards business cards menus banners and posters vehicle magnets booklets and catalogs to schedule a free consultation call cosima at area code 865-544-8623 and i can vouch for this person i know them personally um very very cool and decent human being and again, she's very like-minded, and um, so check her out. Um, she's just starting out, and um, get send her your business if you need it. Thanks. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, so I, I really like your perspective on that. Well, uh, the 
that's a really interesting shift that, that you bring up. And, and you know, I, I didn't get to go through that sort of shift myself because I was, I was never a full blown atheist. I had my doubting time when I was in my early twenties, but I've kind of, I've kind of stopped doubting. Um, but it, that, that shift that you made uh, in, in your general point of view on religion is, is a really essential difference between the religious mindset and the, in the militant atheistic mindset. And uh, it's, it's this understanding that when something clearly can cause both good and bad, it's not the thing that, it's not the thing itself that is, that there's something wrong with. It's the people yes. and how they utilize it. Yes. Exactly. Earlier internet that, atheists did not understand that. <laughs> right. And the thing is, is that's true for just about anything. Right. So like take something simple as we want to feed the needy and the hungry. We want to do that. Right. So we can just go do that and that's just fine. Right. But, um, you know, okay. So if you extrapolate that out to society wide and you look at the Soviet union, that was one of their goals is we want to feed the hungry. Well, there's, you're talking 60 million dead, um, just for trying to feed the needy and take care of the poor, you know? So these, there's a, I can give you a laundry list of things that might be pretty good if done, um, a certain way, but can also lead, um, to just horrible atrocities. And I think that's true for a lot of things. Um, you know, yeah. atrocities never happen for like, nobody ever sets out to go say, I want to kill a whole bunch of people. Very rarely does that happen. It's always for some noble goal, right? Yes, exactly. So any um, noble goal yeah. could be used either way. Go ahead. That's exactly right. And you see that like even going to one of the most horrible slaughters uh, of all time uh, in Cambodia with the Khmer Rouge, um, he went after got academics, people who wore glasses, anybody who showed basically any sign of civilization or education at all. They got slaughtered by the literal millions in Cambodia and, and it's it's the same sort of thing it's going after uh it's it's going after a specific group of people for absolutely nothing and it was for he saw the the problems that academics cause in other countries and in his country previously and he wanted them gone because he thought the academics were the problem but he did it from a position of trying to fix his country I mean, even Hitler and Stalin, the worst people on the planet, uh, even they thought they were trying to do it to make their country better. It's it's sad. Yeah, I, I think what a lot of <clears throat> excuse me atheists and a lot of people that are just take a general anti-religious bent, they don't really have the experience with religion in many cases to understand how total how uh, how much of a totally like a pervasive thing religion is in, in the lives of religious people that it, it's it's a like a fundamental um way of organizing your life uh in, in all aspects so obviously it's whoops actually meeting myself there it's 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 fundamentally going to um you know find its way into every aspect of every 
event and every yeah. movement and historical tendency in a uh, religious society yeah. and to kind of to kind of extrapolate just from that um you know to extrapolate it, it causes axiomatic here. changes sorry to interrupt but but I, yeah. I hope that i hope that that word helps axiomatic changes okay yes that, that's that's great that's perfect and and yeah exactly so you know you can't really extrapolate exactly well, for one thing, I believe my religion is true. So there's there's that fact that I don't really believe that I have much of a choice to just um, deny truth. But beyond that, like for all religion, in defense of all religions, I mean, it's it's absolutely pervasive and it's going to cover all things. So you don't really have you can't really comment on specifically the merits of the concept of religion um, as someone who's not a, a theist in in a tribute good or bad specifically to religion i hope that kind of makes any kind of sense that that rant yeah and you can extend that really to any form of ideology whether that be political or philosophical or a lifestyle choice or an, an exercise philosophy you can apply it to quite literally everything people can take anything literally anything uh, we're seeing a new revolution where sexual identity is being taken to, to moral uh, moral ends. We're having some sort of non-binary sexual identity that isn't male or female is seen as a moral better than than being the what I would call the human standard personally, but that's just me. Hey, Sek here. I wanted to tell you guys about Agora Print. Uh, this guy's a friend of my, ours, um, friend of my ladies as well. Uh, known him for a while. Very like-minded individual, um, hardcore agorist. Uh, he owns a uh, t-shirt company, printing shop. Um, that's at agoristprint.org. And uh, he's printing some shirts for us for the podcast. He's printing some shirts for... Uh, he will be printing some shirts for my business. Uh, he takes, uh, you know, fiat, Bitcoin, gold, silver, barter. He's he's up for all of that. Um, so go check him out at uh, agoristprint.org. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, and, and especially to take a look at from the perspective of um, this, the Islamic religion, who, which is, um, I'm sh sure, the most... Uh, you know, uh, pervasive in, in terms of uh, lifestyle and in, in the community, social organization, and uh, very, I don't want to say strict, but it like, encompasses all points of life from hygiene to commerce to uh, to uh, just spirituality and, and prayer and to, to, to war, to peace, and to everything else. And um, I would say most, most religions to a little bit less extent or less explicit extent but we are we have explicit um views on every single one of those things down to even some s small details um and to kind of extrapolate from that how that affects uh the specific direction that a community or like a society takes is kind of ignorant of the idea that that how how totally um pervasive it is in a society Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, to, to Islam's credit, early Islam was very heavy on the liberty side of things. Um, uh, the caliphate 
was was not seen to was not supposed to be like a political force combined with 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 the with the leadership of of the country it was it was at odds in general um and, and you got to see that in the culture in earlier islam like uh, 1100s you know early crusade times um even even like in crusade era areas jews would flee the crusading areas and go to muslim areas to escape uh, persecution and uh it it would go all directions and it was really based on the actions of the individual and and that's really the heart of it the the ideologies they're not supposed to be a structure for the government to follow or any form of governance or any form of authority to follow that is supposed to be set by god and he does it without you having to do anything without man having to create this lattice of control over it and and so when we create these structures we create kings we create governors we create prime ministers when we have anyone over us who's supposed to tell us what to do or uh take the resources we've been given and make decisions on our behalf with the with that with those resources um it is being taken away from what god has given us and uh, i'll put it for you this way we, we were talking earlier about feeding the hungry um nobody knows better how much money they have to give to somebody who's needy than the individual so government coming in and taking five percent ten percent twenty percent they're potentially taking more than that person can handle to first feed a lattice of of control and employment to create that control but then to feed the remainder after all that income has been chewed up to a hungry person and it's wasteful and they take too much and they give too little. I know even speaking from like a, um, a, a sheerly effectiveness or efficiency standpoint, like you said, you have to take that money and then, you know, pay the contractor, uh, the government and the contractors and the, all this entire bureaucracy, which is all taking a piece of that money when you, it would require, it would be far more effective to just go do the thing like whatever it is you know whether it's the hungry or the homeless or whatever your your thing that you believe in um why would you ever want to go take most of that money and feed it through you know politicians and their friends and probably banks too and and you know by the time it ever actually gets to like a homeless person most of that money is gone just go buy some sandwiches and go feed the homeless. You know, like that's, that's all there is to it. And that's illegal. It, it, yeah, some, that is very illegal in some places. Um, um, but yes, then I think that's by design. But um, yeah, even if you're the most, you know, caring person and you, you have empathy for those less fortunate, and I am one of those, uh, the idea that you would want, the um the state to be in charge of that i like i don't even like necessarily donating to charities for similar reasons i'd rather just go do it myself because often you're paying for a lot of overhead of these charities and salaries and all this stuff and 
very, you know, oftentimes very little actually goes to the cause that you're actually donating for. Yes. Um, so I'd rather just mostly go do it myself on a smaller scale. You know, it's just, it's more effective and less costly that way. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I like, I like food drives and clothing drives. Those, those are my favorite. Those, those are probably the best organized charities you can have are drives of any kind. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably the best. Yeah. And I think people really have a good idea of that. And people realize that, um, you know, in, in, in Islam, it's like a very, uh, one of the most important, uh, emphasized aspects is, is charity and giving itself. And there's even a annual tax on wealth, not income. Uh, um, and that's, if you truly believe from a moral standpoint, if you truly believe that God has commanded this, um, and you know, charity is something that I think makes natural sense to people too, and th their natural disposition that, and you have the social pressure that comes with like uh, obeying God's commands when it's going back to the needy in the community. I think that's a lot better than, you know, state taxation, especially when so much of it goes elsewhere. And, but like more importantly, people hate paying taxes and hate seeing their income redistributed. But like when you look at people's actual actions, when it comes to charitable giving, um, when it's made, easy for them and it's you know maybe you can write it and you can write it off on your taxes and stuff i mean people freely give in charity in this country and yet their attitudes for like government redistribution are often you know at odds with that so i think there's a widespread understanding of that and it's just um we have we have more of a more of a framework to understand that by yeah absolutely and uh <laughs> Charity is so important to Islam. It's one of the five pillars, right? Yeah, just a specific kind of charity on wealth um, specifically. And then you can, you're supposed to give as much as you can in addition to that, just to just to the person that's, that's hungry on, on the street as well, um, or even charity of good advice, or even, even a smile is considered um, charity, in fact. I didn't know that. That's very interesting. Yeah, as a, a sunnah of the um, uh, well, in, a, in a hadith of the Prophet Muhammad sallam, he says, yeah, he says, even a, a smile to somebody is sonika. So even the smallest, the smallest, most insignificant thing might brighten somebody's day is considered an act of charity. But really importantly, like um, you also give charity on wealth. So what's different is from taxing the wagey, like the lo the lower income, the, the hourly worker, um, There, there's none of that. Um, they can certainly give when they can of what they can, but the the, the mandatory annual um, tax is on like the annual, uh, not the annualized, but the 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 amount of wealth that is maintained for like twelve months through the year. So only those with wealth or like with wealth or with capital, with savings that actually have the means to redistribute, enforce on ultimately by faith. You know, which is probably the best way to enforce it, are required to give to charity, and it's not like uh, when when you take a look at the income tax system, they're they're, you know, taking from everyone and actually making it making it making a system that's actually quite difficult on people. Yeah, faith and also social pressure. You know, like uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, if you were if you were trying to skirt on that, you you would probably look bad to your community or your mosque or your church or synagogue or whatever that would have you. Um, so I, I think that that, that alone, like even if we discount all the atheists, I think 
what you guys are talking about in terms of charity through your various religious institutions would absent the state redistributing most of your wealth <laughs> i think um those alone would solve most of the uh issues of um of poverty and of hunger and 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 um the, you know those kinds of things um never mind you know so, some more secular institutions and um you know, fraternal mutual aid. I, I think the religious institutions alone could probably take care of it, and they have in the past. Yeah, um, absolutely. For many yeah, years, when it's institutionalized like this, it is a it is a kind of a form of mutual aid network within the uh, within the religious community or the entire you know nation of a religion, so to speak. It is actually a mutual a mutual aid community because it's it's redistributed in an institutionalized way. Yeah, this this is intercommunication and this this free trade between these communities who have a common thread between them is, is really how these uh, religions last so long. So Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, they create a culture that actually allows for something self-sustaining. And uh, it, it, it's all because it sort of circles around the sphere of truth and looks at it through its own lens that you can only see from that one position and and the roots of these religions cause there to be a lot of overlap which is really cool i love the overlaps between judaism and islam and christianity and the high faith and all of these very it's very intriguing how much we actually have in common but uh even even uh atheism if you're if you're an american atheist even though you're an atheist you sort of belief-wise act out the truth of Christianity, of American Christianity, almost American jingoism if you're <clears throat> sorry, if you're uh if you're an authoritarianism, if you're uh, if you're an authoritarian. But uh even atheists sort of act out this this truth that there is a greater good to achieve and that one should strive for it. That is an essential Christian ethic. That is an essential Judeo-Christian um you know abrahamic faith essence and that's not necessarily present like that's actually contrary to how buddhism views the truth or in buddhism uh, in buddhism the uh the striving to be better the striving to improve is seen as you expressing your earthly attachments it, now you may be eventually achieve a point where you are able to move as a master of that of that craft or that thing and at that point you may have the ability to pull yourself back towards this center where you can let go but you know that striving to get there in the first place that is seen as as the wrong move in buddhism so there there are some pretty conscious differences between these religions at their core um and in the abrahamic faiths striving for self-improvement is is one of the most fundamental and even even american atheists express that yeah and i think everyone um or most people to some degree accept some form of the golden rule right you know there's of course there's well there, you know there's the sort of the religious reason for following it and then there's just also the practical reason for following it like that seems to be the best way to navigate society is just 
be decent to other people, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So there's, you know, it, it's, it is based in <clears throat> Christianity, but it, you know, it's, it's also a very practical rule of thumb, you know, like, so, um, you know, the, I, I don't think this would be so pervasive in even secular society if it wasn't also just a good principle to have, you know, um, but going back to, uh, that wasn't really a question, but going back to history, um, you know, you were speaking of a time when in what we call the Middle East now, um, Jews and, you know, Christians and even Muslims, um, lived pretty harmoniously. Um, I, I won't say harmoniously, uh, in non-conflict, um, they got along pretty well. Yeah. Um, the, the end, sorry to interrupt the end, of, but basically how it was, was the, while the governments were warring, the individuals, as long as, you know, no like extreme people came around to, to whip people into a frenzy, the individuals between those religions tended to get along decently, trade de decently, uh, be cordial to one another, provide shelter and food if necessary, etc. And they also even had some forms of what we would call now polycentric law, right? So they, they'd have, um, you know, uh, uh, the Jewish folks would have their judges and courts and the Islamic folks would have theirs and the Christian folks would have theirs. But if there was dispute amongst them, then the, the two sort of organizations would, you know, um, what do you call, mediate between the two different Organ different uh, people and the organizations would you know kind of go back and forth, and you had you, it was actually a, probably a model for how an actual anarchist society might look like, you know, at least in terms of their dispute resolution. Yeah. Now it seems like every religion throughout history has had at least pockets of very anarchic um, societies. You know, um, you talked about the, uh, the times when Islam was had, it was very, very liberty-oriented. And, of course, these things never go away. It's just, um, you know, certain state, states take up the mantle of religion. Um, you know, Christianity has had their time. And, you know, I mentioned the Quakers, who are very liberty-oriented. But even the, the ancient Israelites were very much um an anarchic tribe um so where do you think do you, i mean i think i could answer for I, my own question but do you think that this should be the natural state of um basically religious belief like the the organization those organizations of society around religious principles do you think they should be more um, anarchic or laissez-faire, and do you think that that is um, a likely outcome of a, uh, a religious society without the state? And why why does it go any differently, I guess, is my other question. So the way I kind of view this is the all of it is anarchic, essentially. I mean, I mean, we, we talk about that in anarchist theory, like even when, when countries interact with each other, countries interact on an anarchic basics uh, in accord with one another. They essentially, the only hierarchy between them is the dominance hierarchy. Um, 
in that in that case um when it when it comes to the individual the the propensity to follow a specific faith really allows people to bind together and that really creates super solid communities that can be long lasting and can remain uh good within each other and all, all governments really end up being are these shells that exist within a field of anarchic uh, behavior so that these shells end up isolating groups. Um, let's take, for example, a very big shell that didn't allow tiny shells within it. Ancient Rome. Ancient Rome did not force you to follow the Roman pagan religion. They allowed Christians to exist. They allowed Jews to exist. They allowed Muslims to exist. They allowed uh, uh, Norse pagans to exist. Um, African religions, Egyptian religions. They 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 didn't really care. Um, however, they cared to find out what the laws of the ro local religions were. And in that way, Rome was fairly respectful of local religions. And so you would not only have to follow Roman law, but you're also your local religious law. And uh, oftentimes in certain jurisdictions, local religious law would uh, trump uh, would if there were specific clauses in that local religious law, it would trump Roman law. So, for example, if there was a thing where uh, uh, religion guarantees a specific freedom, Roman law would respect their right to have that freedom. So there were groups where they would uh, change the tax rate specific for a religion, for example, um, or they would uh, not conscript them into military. They would only let it be voluntary from that area. Um, in these ways, they tried to respect the religions, and that could exist without the Roman Empire's lattice being around it. Um, that whole sort of system could sustain itself. I mean, that's why Rome lasted as long as it did, and that's why instead of it having a traditional death, the Roman Empire just sort of fizzled out. Um, it, it basically dissolved into an entirely anarchic form of microstates. Yeah, yeah, I mean, even the Ottomans tried to say that they were the ne they were still the Ro uh, Roman Empire, and I think didn't Mussolini claim that the, the, we were just the, they were just the continuation of the Roman Empire? That's because you know the the empire never really fell. Yeah, <clears throat> and, just and of, Holy Roman Empire, which is which right. was ended up becoming Austria too. Yeah, right. the, the Uthman Yun or the Ottomans and the Holy Roman Empire at the same time, and that's. Yeah, it's kind of that's kind of well, they were a true empire. So a true empire has uh, as many nations and, and and you know communities within it as long as they uh, pray pay fealty to the to the emperor. So if you actually want a, a truly strong state, you really don't want an empire. And if you want a, an insular and like unified cult culture and you know everybody to follow the same beliefs and religions and practices, uh, an empire you you don't want an empire. But um, you know. My objections to the state often I boil down not to like spiritual or religious grounds and but actually to some um, almost mundane sounding uh, economic arguments or, or arguments of political economy. So I, I usually fall back on public choice theory and I've been kind of learning more about it to be able to kind of describe 
describe it better. But I've, I've kind of had this basic idea even before I had the, the language to put it into words that basically, um, and I guess I'll start out by saying for this conversation, the, the, the state defining it as a very secular thing made up, made up of people, individuals with their own interests and, and groups or classes of people with their own interests. And, you know, you, you kind of form it around the basic idea of offering like unity and unity of people and protection within that framework and dispute resolution and so forth. And those are important things. And it's important things that um, even a religious fr framework could, could uh, provide. But then once you have government and the government has the sovereign authority of the state, so not playing on violence and so forth, uh, excuse me, then you, you get into public choice problems where you have different people, different factions able to basically with accumulated wealth or accumulated uh, social power and whatnot, are able to kind of derive, use use the power of state government to derive, um, you know, concentrated benefits from themselves out of state power, at with the diffuse, you know, whether explicit or implicit costs on the rest of society. So more more or less, you get groups basically uh, jockeying for power or privilege within the the state. Uh, government framework. So in, instead of seeing it, um, and that was a delightful like passage that I had not heard um, from the Bible about the Satan. I, I, it's not that I necessarily see the state as uh, uh, the great Satan, um, but I do see it as something that people use to um, kind of derive various amounts of as much, you know, secular or worldly um, privilege as they can. Um, out of that structure, despite we, we kind of think of, uh, maybe not we, but the state is generally thought of as something that it, a grouping of people that are brought together for the idea of like this common dispute resolution and uh, common defense. So, you know, it, it doesn't seem to actually form, um, kind of provide those, it, you get to a point where it's kind of to the point where it's more about kind of doling out privileges at the expense of the wider society than it is about actually providing those things. And it starts to fail to provide those things in the right way. And at the same time, you could see religious institutions kind of being, you know, be able to maybe provide those things in a different way. And one caveat I think with that would be, I always think about religious institutions, it does require the people to actually believe it and believe in God and that God's watching them. And uh, this is sort of the the point I get at. This is why I don't call it the Antichrist when I refer to the state. I refer to states as the body of the Antichrist. They are pieces. They show that they are under his control, under his tutelage that uh essentially what the what the nature of the antichrist is is much like you know christ consciousness it is within each and every one of us to choose to behave in a specific way and you can either embrace a christ consciousness or you can embrace the nature of the antichrist which is impulsive and selfish and acts for itself voluntarily um and by accumulating by culminating the will in this manner by all these people who are basically having their needs met not by god but by a state of men they become men who are wholly enamored with the pleasures of life and therefore they express dutifully 
the nature of the antichrist and this is why i uh i venerate the un the united states government the states of any country anywhere um i i i they are all part of the body of the antichrist because they all exist by being a accumulation exclusively of the wills of man and nothing else. I mean, never mind. So even as a an atheist or agnostic, it, it seems to make sense to me that you know if um, if I believe the Antichrist exists, the state will certainly be that. And I can't remember who said that. He says. You know, somebody, I'm quoting somebody else and I can't remember who, but it's something along the lines of like, hell is very real. Humans have created it on earth. Hell is in the the killing fields in Verdun in World War One, uh, or the, I'm sorry, the trenches in Verdun in World War One, the killing fields in Cambodia where there's piles of skulls, just the, the absolute horrors and atrocities that have been created on this planet. Uh, you wouldn't know that you were not if you were in the trenches in world war one you wouldn't know that you weren't in hell you know what i mean like it's very very similar and um so it's very easy for me to make that next leap to say that you know the the state creates these horrors these hells on earth just unimaginable death destruction and horror right so what else would you describe hell or Satan as other than that? You know, how worse could it really get when you see piles of skulls of babies? You know what I mean? Or people put on bayonets and spite and pikes for, you know, one state or the other. So to me, you know, looking at this from sort of the outside, it makes complete logical sense to me that that, like you said, wh whether it's the Antichrist or the body of the Antichrist, all the pieces of Satan, the Antichrist, hell, are all there within the state. If you give the state free reign and and um, and the agents of the state free reign, they'll they'll create hell for you right in front of you. So yeah, what's absolutely. what's the difference? You know what I mean? I agree. I actually have a couple questions for you. Sure. Um, as an atheist, how do you define hell? Well, well, I don't. Well, I, I usually rely on sort of uh, the Christian hell concept of hell or Dante or, okay. uh, um, you know, I do like the idea that, well, I mean, how far do you want to go in this? Right. So I, the way I think of sort of the Manichaean framework of uh, good versus evil versus hell versus heaven. I think these are uh, metaphors for what humans create for themselves on earth. Um, just thinking of this as, you know, as an atheist, I think these are archetypes or um, d descriptions of human behavior. So truths. yes. Yeah. Something that is, that is very true. Sort of like the idea of the hero's journey or Hercules. Like these are, describing certain attributes of humans that we do under certain certain circumstances the this is how i think of heaven and hell but what i was describing earlier i was kind of using the christian framework but 
that's what I think of or where I think the origins of these ideas come from is that they are describing two aspects of uh, the duality of man, the what exi- what humans are capable. We're create- capable of great things and creating paradise on earth, and we are also cr- capable of the worst horrific, obscene uh, atrocities uh, you've ever seen, uh, scorched earth and um, skulls on pikes and that sort of thing. So uh, that's what I think of when I hear people describe heaven and hell. At least uh, that's where I think the origins of that that, that, um, Manichaean ideal comes from. Um, Interesting. um, It also comes, I mean, that that general idea comes from... uh, Zarathustra or Zoroaster, but um, that's that's my my take on it. But even if I, even if I put myself in the shoes of somebody that actually did believe in like an actual um, a realm that we just would describe as heaven or hell, um, the, I don't like I said before. I don't see how you could draw too much distinction between what the state creates on Earth and what um hell might look like under the realm of hades or beelzebub or satan it, it, to me it would you would it would be very um it would be unrecognizable from say uh like i said that um some of the the wars are vaporizing humans in a, a nuclear fallout it, it, i don't i can't see how you could come up with much worse or you know torturing people for um prisoner prisoners of war this is all hell um at least to me um i'm supposed you could think of much you know, much worse but i mean we're we're talking about in the, uh, a dis- difference of degree not of kind right you know so that's that's my thoughts on it i don't know that was that was very enlightening thank you uh penguin do you have the traditional view of of what hell is or, or for for a muslim or uh, do you have your own thing? Like, what what does the Quran have to say about it? Yeah, um, it, from, uh, what I've actually heard uh, recently, it really tracks with kind of um, a Dante, very fiery, very um, torturous kind of thing. Um, I I think it would be necessary. I, I have no idea if it's a physical place or if it's just, you know, you, you kind of lack corporeal form at that point. So basically, it, it's an experience and. You know, it's it's kind of like one one of those things with the with the Neuralink, like you can experience, you know, ten thousand years of bliss or or uh, torture in in a matter of a second in in, the, in your mind. If once a computer can, you know, interlink with your mind. But um, you know, other than the kind of metaphysical that I can't know, yeah, I just go by what the Quran says. That says that people will, um, people will suffer for, for for their sins, but you know, ultimately people are brought out of that. Um, and whether, you know, ultimately people, everyone or the vast majority of everyone is brought out of that and they, they could only really be in there for a second. But, um, yeah, I don't have much extra to say about that other than what, what as far as I, as far as I know, you know, God only really knows, you know, the actual truth from that. Cause what he, what he actually, what, what's actually written in the scripture is that God created humans to, you know, with free will. To an extent, even though there is, you know, it, he knows all. With the uh, idea that they will be imperfect and sin, and his main 
goal is to forgive them. Like that's the point. So if he he is infinitely forgiving, but you you should at least act like um, act as if he you know you if you sin, you should ask for forgiveness. But um, yeah, I don't even really try to think too much about the the met, uh, metaphysical aspect of it. Cause I think that kind of takes away from the you know the very real way it kind of interfaces in and in mm -hmm. daily lives. You know, there, um, oh, sorry, go ahead, Zach. No, is there a concept of the devil in Islam? Yeah, I mean, there is um, Satan. Great Satan. Is, where yeah. where did Satan come from in? Um, it's close to it the in the Old Testament. Is it in the Old Testament, or is it only in the New Testament? It's in the Old yeah. Testament. I mean, yeah. I'm pretty sure they start the same. All the Abrahamic faiths, right? Yeah, it's um, basically the story of Lucifer. It's not that he's literally an angel, but it's it's close. I don't think I think technically, he was, but he was a something that was um, very high in rank up with the angels. And he, Seraphim. Yeah, he refused to. Um, so when when God created created man, he was a being of like very powerful, heavenly kind of um, being. Uh, of light or or, or, or or some such and um when god created man on earth out of clay it was just like dirt dust you know and um he, he commanded all the angels to uh bow before adam right and 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 the the disobedient and, and, and he disobeyed now and you know a lot of people then go from that from that and interpret that how they will but basically he was became the trickster that would try to basically um you know uh, you know put it in your heart to kind of disobey god from there on out no i mean i i know that story yeah yeah but th is that story in that yes. must be in the old testament then yes right? it's in the old testament um okay it, the only thing that I think is different is I don't think that there's a time where God commands all the angels to bow to Adam in, in, in Christianity. I think that's the only thing I heard that was any form of deviation from from the old Torah. Okay. Okay. Um, but I wanted to to talk about sort of what the common thread is in what, what hell is between the Abrahamic faiths which is it's it's a very brief summary of the metaphysics and I, I think uh it sort of wraps it up in a way that actually ends up reflecting very well upon what the goal of the religion should be and it's that when one dies their soul is placed within the blinding light of the lord where their sins are burned away one by one and you have an option in that moment and that is to either let go of your sin and let it burn off of you like dead wood or to cling to it and burn alongside it. And if you cling to it and you burn alongside it and you never let go, you eventually end up in what is hell. You end up burning forever of your own volition because you wouldn't have found heaven to be much fun anyway. Um, but if you manage to let go of your sins and again allow them to burn off of you like dead wood what remains of you goes on to 
whatever is next. And that is where the religions start to deviate in certain ways. Yeah. Um, and that could be, I mean, the, the only thing that I always come back on is that, you know, there is this idea that truly devious and deviant and, and, and evil people, there is a place for them to be tormented, but it's made clear that in reality, the truth of the matter is God is an infinitely merciful and for infinitely merciful and forgiving. And to some extent it, it, it is your, it is within your capacity to make the right decision with, with, you know, full free will, at least as far as we understand it um, with, within what you know, and you know you're told kind of what to do i think we, we're given uh, a guidance to kind of uh lubricate this this social interaction and, and kind of morals so we don't have to start from scratch and come up with whatever morals now i do think there are some natural morals that we kind of all, all share you know theft is theft and so to, to some extent to a basic extent or another and murder is murder to some extent but this is made kind of more clear for us to give us kind of an idea so that we're not just lost um, and, and wandering. But uh, ultimately, like, our disposition is based purely on something that, that we can't know. We just have to do the best within the framework of, of what we've been guided to. Because, like, what we know is what we've been presented with and what we know is ultimately um, what we've been guided to by by god so uh, if you know so much of the truth from like the true religion and i do believe the true religion is, is islam then you know you have this very high burden on you to you know act in good faith in that framework but if if you ha if you haven't been guided then i mean you just may be destined to be misguided or you may be destined to be misguided to be guided in, an, in 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 a different way not to say that any other religion is, itself is valid but um you know, ultimately, the the presence of of a hell and a punishment is is the duality of the uh, you know infinite capacity to, to uh, uh, infinite capacity of mercy of of God. Socrates, before his execution, um, talked about his he always did the right thing because he listened to his daemon. Now, now they don't mean demon the way that that we would think of it in uh in, in Christianity. The, he thought thought of it more like that that voice in the back of your head that lets you know when you're fucking up, when you know you're fucking up. Like when you lie and and your that little voice in your head says that's not true. Um, there are people who ignore that impulse for so long that they lose it. And I believe that's where that goes. And those people have already created a hell for themselves. That's why so many of them are like salarymen gone, gone crazy, or they're like people on drugs who, who take too much of, of one thing and they just lose their shit and lose control because they don't know how to let go of how they feel. Um, they never had that experience. So they snap. They they enter a drug induced psychosis and they kill somebody. I mean I mean this is this is what you see. You you see these people, you know, serial killer types, psychopaths, um, people who don't have any ability to to translate feelings and emotion into reality in front of them. 
it's all it's all just a sham to that individual it, it, these these are the people who who end up going to hell um if you're a good thinking person who who tries to not be a bad person as much as you you can notice let's say um then that's where god's infinite forgiveness comes in now um there is there is a uh, a common thread among all of us here in that we all seem to agree that that there's this metaphorical truth hyper truth to what hell is on earth um that there are individuals who are essentially in hell while they are alive um and i think this is where that essential body of the antichrist comes in and this is why i think religion is so important to maintaining anarchism is because there needs to be a common framework where people understand that there are individuals who uh, essentially don't have a soul if you want to think of it that way now i, I believe that there's still an experience or it within them um an observant an observer within them but i believe that thinking voice in the back of their head that gives them that gives them knowledge of what the truth is while they speak these people that no longer have that or they never developed that and and so the these there has to be some sort of social method to ensure that these types of people can be noticed can be addressed as evil and that people can feel safe into the future as a community without having to form some sort of lattice, some sort of state overhead. Um, and also psychopaths don't have to be born. Some of them can be created. Some of them can be normal through their whole lives. And then some trauma, physical or emotional causes them to sort of snap and lose connection with, with their uh, moral voice in their head. Um, and um, the sort of immoral degeneracy, I know that that's normally a really right-wing thing to care about, but I'm still an anarchist. Go fuck yourself. Uh, <laughs> um, the, the, the sort of degeneracy that, that brings about that sort of behavior is, is what's addressed by religions socially. There's uh not that shaming is is really good, but there's like shaming aspects. There's uh, edicts such as to not drink to the point of drunkenness, to not uh, anyway, um, to, to not do evil when you know what is evil. But what I like is uh, what what really informs this part of my personal philosophy is a new Testament verse, uh, Romans 12, two, um, Romans 12, two is, uh, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing and perfect will. Um, that, that sort of, informs any sort of feeling I have towards potential mistakes in the future um, when it comes to 
worrying about how I'm moving forward when it comes to my political mindset, that is such a huge thing which informs me uh, of how to behave, how, how to move forward, is, is that it is within you to find out what the truth should be. No, no, there's no other thing in this world that is like a method of this world that is how you should go. You should maybe follow our advice, but it really takes testing and finding out what the right way to behave is. And in the absence of, of religion, that and without that being written in stone in some way within the religion uh, within the society absent of religion um you, that sort of disappears so i mean in my opinion it can't be reached uh, liberty can't truly be reached without at least behaving in a way that makes you jive with the eternal groove of god as it were, something that has you living within what God has ordained you live in. Um, and, and that's really what, what it boils down to for me. Um, the, the, there is a way life comes to you, and there is a natural way to act in those moments that is good and correct. And you just got to act that way, and that'll always always help you move forward and politics is no different politics can be the same way so i i draw quite a bit from you know sterner and, and nietzsche on my view on incredibly based on my view on morality and such but what you say makes sense it, to me if i frame it in a slightly different way so there is certain ways to act and you describe those that are uh moral and natural right i would just frame it in in terms of there's certain ways to act that are beneficial right yeah so so oftentimes these are in line with certain concepts of morality just because um it works out best for to do things that way like um so i could be a scumbag and i could steal from everybody i know and and um just be a, you know an asshole and um i don't know be very harmful to people around me but my quality of life would eventually diminish over time right so there's a self-interested reason to actually be decent to other human beings yes and, um and that is because number one you will have a better quality of life you will have better people around you and if you extrapolate this out to all of society you will have a better society in which to live in so you know part of the reason i go help um the needy in my area is number one because i know how that is and uh, number um to be uh on hard times and number you know number two it's you know it makes me feel good but number three it's like that is the society in which i would want to live in you know what i mean like i want that 
to exist. So I'm manifesting that through my own action. And um, if I can do that and, you know, more people do that, then there will be a society in which um, I find would find to be more beneficial even for me in my own self-interest. So for me, morality just, it's, it's not even that I'm necessarily anti-morals or any of that. They just, it's it a doesn't, spook. it's a spook. It is a spook, but even more than that, it's just, it is unnecessary to me. Like it, it's not an, an, it's not a necessary justification when there is already a, um, a practical justification. Um, that being said, th- those practical justifications often align with um, certain concepts of morality, as we would describe them, um, even religious tenets and that sort of thing. Like, yeah, that's the, more of what I was referring to. Yeah, the the like the Ten Commandments. That's a decent set of rules to like live by. Like, if you do those sorts of things, or or don't do those sorts of things, whichever way you look at it your life and the lives of yours around you will be better for it. Right. You know? So it's like, I don't, I don't necessarily even need the, the moral argument or the, um, the pressure from a deity to just see the natural, the the cause and effect of these actions in my life. You know what I mean? So that's just my two cents on what you just said. Like I, what you say makes sense. I would say I you don't disagree world. with me in any way whatsoever, even right. in your perspective. Because what I think is what you're observing is what God has set up. And sure. that, that that existence you see that's successfully moving behind this 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 framework is it is God that is enabling that to happen that 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 is the same essentially the same thing people can live within the framework of god without understanding it it's it's simply jiving with the eternal now yeah um i you know i don't i'm sure there's a lot of Sterner and such that i i don't agree with but the basic framework to me has always been if you actually do believe in god and he's watching you all the time then the whole thing really kind of makes sense because you you are all you are doing what you, what is beneficial for for you within that framework you know and and yeah it's and it's beneficial for those around you and it's 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 it's, it's individuals and egos that are you know, existing under God and within his framework. So never been too hard, never been too hard necessarily square with at least the oversimplification of, of that kind of idea. And when I, when I see people that kind of uh, abide by that or that kind of take that on as a philosophy, they seem to kind of have the, the right idea to an extent about that. Um, so uh, I kind of wanted to go into another thing. So like um, libertarianism as, as a radical, um, liberalism kind of it 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 um excuse me okay hopefully that's not too much background noise there um i it, heard that truck yeah just started up um yeah it, it, there's a kind of a sense of order that comes from a certain kind of egalitarianism so it's an egalitarianism it's a relational egalitarianism or an egalitarianism before the law especially in like in a liberal context. So w- within that, um, 
there's a sense that a true uh, libertarian order and or even law even law and order but in a libertarian sense cannot exist without a, a sense of relational egalitarianism between each other and that's basically i think what we're always even if it's sort of hidden and people kind of go a little bit off the rails what we're always talking about here is basically a an egalitarianism of relation relational egalitarianism and a lack of of truly distinct hierarchies between people in the sense of actually having concrete rights above other people, master-slave relations, um, something like that. And I think, of course, we would all agree, and, and even in religious context, the two of us agree are anathema. So I was in a discussion with somebody just briefly on Twitter, um, and we were just talking about how you know a religious um, framework can be an or can be a framework, but I, I like to present here like an alternative framework to, you know, maybe the modern religion of liberalism as one that gives us that order through relational egalitarianism, because that, that thought that was like really interesting because certainly, certainly I think my religious faith and your religious faith do kind of stress a very much a relational egalitarianism. Um, We're all God's children. Yeah, we're all we're all created essentially as equal, and the, the rules do apply equally between. Um, I mean, we all stand before God as equals, and they they do apply. Excuse me, equally between um, individuals. And I, I think that you don't have a functioning system of order without some sort of framework and a very strong framework that provides that kind of relational egalitarianism. So I think that's to me how. Um, religion interfaces with liberty. Like that's the number one explanation that I have. And when you have a creator that is far, far above you, more than just, you know, superhuman, but just far, far and above, not uh, human at all. And um, you, that is the, the, the hierarchy that's recognized that, um, and, and there's the, the act of creation. Um, you know, you, you get that framework of um, relational egalitarianism that actually does allow liberty. And without that, you don't really have liberty. Yeah. Um, you know, when Jesus said, love thy neighbor as thyself, um, he was sort of at the time was actually an extremely revolutionary idea, because at the time the Jews had created an extremely dense culture of jews versus gentiles um and they they had isolated themselves culturally and socially and religiously and what jesus was saying when he said love thy neighbor as thyself is he said you need to love your fellow man as you love yourself even the gentiles because they were living in in tandem with with them you know they were living you know literally next door to them side by side um, they were living throughout the cities together and they were being closed off and nobody knew was coming to the faith. And but through this open dialogue, through open, through creating an open dialogue between the two sides, by creating that, as you said, relational egalitarianism, um, Christianity sort of cements itself as supposed to be. I, I want to emphasize supposed to fucking be extremely inclusive of basically anybody. Nobody 
is is too low to to be part of this. Nobody is so low that they can't love God. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, and in this case, loving God could be simply. It could be whatever it is for you, even as long as that's part of what what your your belief is, is that treating other people as you would treat yourself if you saw you on the street or a friend or a family member. Um, that is a, a, an essential good that benefits everyone in the long run. And the more we spread that, the better um, at bare minimum. I don't care about it being specifically Christianity. I don't care about it being any specific religion. As long as you think that you don't own me and you don't think that anybody owns either of us, I'm fine with you. Let's work together. Yeah, right on. I, I, I mean, I dig these vibes, you know, and what, so you guys are describing a, a theoretical, and philosophical framework on the basis of religion as all humans being equal before the eyes of God and therefore uh, egalitarian and we should follow these basic tenets and so on. So this would be like the philosophy or the theory. What is What does a praxis look like for this philosophical framework or theory? Well, I just want to be clear that my, my religious views are, I, I don't really, they're not as um, kind of open to interpretation or uh, inclusive. I mean, I, I have a pretty, I mean, I believe, the, you know, Islamic faith is pretty rigid in the very simple sense. You, you do this, you don't do that in, you know, you have to, you have to believe ultimately at the end, end of the day, but um, you I also. I that like more who can join and who can't. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you, yeah. You, but you, you do have to, you do have to follow the rules, or you're very, you know, you're enjoined to. And what happens in the afterlife? That's that's between you and God. That's a different situation entirely. Um, but I do think the equality should, the egalitarianism should be really pointed out here. It's it's it's, it's quite simple. It's like uh, this is a, an equality before the law that existed thousands of years before. Um, in many cases, before liberalism kind of you know codified that, and that's very very important. That's very noticeable, and and obviously, you know, obviously we don't have that now, and we didn't have that in the intervening time between um, you know God's revelations and um, and and the advent of liberalism or the Enlightenment. Um, but I think it's an it's an important message, and it's important to understand this. This was a way to kind of achieve a widespread notion of, of equality before the law, before there was a you know a secular justification for that, because it was you know it wasn't obviously it wasn't obviously obvious for there to be a secular justification for equality before the law without um, that religious framework. So. And like I said, without that um, egalitarian framework, you don't have liberty. You might have some facsimile of it. You might have a lack of coercion or a lack of um, lack of domination, but you don't actually have um, uh, liberty, like you know, widespread or institutionalized, uh, without that basic concept. Yeah. So I guess. 
the way I'm the way I'm hearing you describe these things, Penguin, is like um, I almost see this as like what Hess described in <laughs> community technology or neighborhood power, but on a religious religious basis. So I'm just like sort of extrapolating this in my mind to where like this could al almost be a useful strategy for building parallel societies and um, collapsing the state. So what I mean is like um, you have, you know, thousands of mosques and synagogues and churches and whatever, and they begin creating counter institutions, so to speak, meaning like a picking up a lot of the services and um, community organizations and dispute resolution that is now currently being done by the state. And if this just keeps expanding and, um, you know, sort of exponentially, and do you see this as a viable, almost, I don't want to say using this as a strategy, but is this a viable method for creating counter institutions to the state? Yeah, absolutely. I want to. I just want before I lose it in my mind. I want to just answer that real quickly first. That um, I, I think that's absolutely true. I think that, that, that these or, these um, religious organizations centered around the places of worship are uh, a necessity and something that people have a demand for, and they do offer services. And when they're when they're allowed to flourish and allowed allowed to proffer these services, they're very popular. Um, and then and when people lack when people lose or lack that religious faith so when the population over time it becomes less religious uh, religiously observant over time uh you see secular institutions that arise in all cases in all aspects that mimic kind of that community organization um and other aspects of religion um which clearly shows the values of these things that you have new institutions new secular institutions new a new a, a new mythos a new um forms of worship or forms of um a new i mean islam doesn't have a priesthood but sometimes you you know ha have a new priesthood of, of an academia or the state that kind of might seem to arise and and i'm just saying there there are parallels i think between that and, and, and previous religious institutions that um may fall out of favor with people so i think there is a basic need not to kind of you know not to kind of justify certain uh, hierarchical relationship relations that um i'm not saying i'm i'm zero hierarchy man hierarchy man but there's certain that don't really play a large large role in in, in my religion um but i do think that it shouldn't be underrated how effective these uh community-based institutions actually are and I, I've, I've seen it with my own eyes in um building community and, and making strong community and having mutual aid networks and having potentially other services as well um and the, the evidence is clearly because when the religious faith is lacking these institutions still pop up in different forms Awe, what do you think yeah i mean uh the you're exactly right penguin the current basically every institution we currently have is has its roots in a religious institution or an old employment institution one of the two um like you have masonry you have that ends up basically becoming the department of transportation in the united states 
<laughs> it's all rooted in in masonry but then you have like the military that goes back to <laughs> that goes back to ancient crusader times basically with the first uh, and, and imperial times in rome with the uh, standing militaries that are that are basically you know religiously oriented but um in this case uh, oriented towards the will of the state as uh, we have American soldiers which go in crusade on behalf of our desire for opium. Yeah, um, I, I think that's uh, that's a good point. So we have most of these uh, organizations definitely have like their historical context. And we've talked a lot about um, uh, what are they called? Um, the large practice medicine what was a larger term um uh, sect can you jog my memory the uh, social hospitalers oh i mean that's the ho yeah for for the original hospitals but what, what, what were these called um fraternal organizations fraternal mutual aid organizations yeah those things <laughs> that yeah the, the, those things have existed and they've existed in both in a explicitly religious form and, and not but when we see the older forms go away and kind of replaced by large bureaucracies um they're they're not nearly as effective they don't have the same effects they don't function the same they way. don't they're have not, the same power no no exactly um it, it's really this high modernism of like a large-scale bureaucratic centralization which um you know I, I i can't say that i see a strictly religious form to a religious form to like um erase every vestige of authoritarianism especially in, in religious framework if you just view things through that particular lens but like the the, the modern um the, the centralization the bureau the bureaucracy the strict um almost secularization not from the religious perspective but like a secularization as in like a wiping away of like the the, the moral impetus to even have these have these institutions like a wiping of the way of like the moral impetus that we have to have a system of courts or laws or like to have um to have social programs like it's it's just done dispassionately or with like these high modernist kind of intentions and it's very progressivist and paternalistic view views um you know they're very poor substitutes from it doesn't even have to be strictly uh religious but just community-based organizations that kind of you know arise naturally to um to interface yeah. naturally with the problems in the community and, and the demand for these services in the community yeah that's that's an amazing point and and that's really what what it all boils down to is these have the staying power these have the literal instructions in a book um like this is a take I personally have that I haven't seen very many other people have, so I don't know how this will track. But in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus is basically medical literature. Especially for people who don't understand germ theory. Yeah, um, I, I get what you're saying, actually. That reminds me of, I once developed a condition, and I'm like, yeah, this was in Leviticus. This is what it said about that. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, that's also where the ban on homosexuality comes from. In an age about germ theory, would you be surprised if everyone, <laughs> if everyone who stuck their dick in a butt got shit dick and died? 
Yeah, so that's kind of what I was thinking, though, is that if we have a, a you know, it doesn't have to be a strictly religious organization um, to kind of fill the niches that we're talking about here. What we're saying is that these religious communities have the actual moral intention for their communities. They don't have this kind of like vanilla, dispassionate kind of institutions that pervade today, you know, and uh, like heartless. Yeah, like heartless modernist like uh, can you can you kind of help me? Dull Not, gray, dull gray, corporate, homogenous, yes. conformist, yeah, um, modernist, modernist yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. But totally divorced from like the moral impetus. And it doesn't have to be religious. Like I, I'm not going to tell you as a religious person these things have to be religious. What I'm saying is that what we're describing isn't, um, isn't exclusive to religion. So, because sex talking about the practice, what I'm saying is that, that, that that's these things existed a, a long time ago, and were largely sidelined as were fraternal organizations and others. Um, you know what I mean? In favor of these like dull, gray, corp corporatist, uh, centralized, bureaucratic, um, modernist institutions. So, and this was done a while ago. Because, like I said, we're not talking about postmodernism. We're talking about the uh, rise of like progressivism and centralization and stuff in the late 19th century through the, the period of the Great Depression onto the 50s and stuff. We, we talk about this a lot um, and how we get back to the community and we don't bring up religion because I don't think that I think religion is important for our souls. But this is what, what, what we're describing is not a strictly religious phenomenon. It, it's, it's existed yeah. in other contexts well but i think religion is the most powerful powerful single example of, of a reason to have communities uh based around these moral frameworks and and that's what i really love about it, it is you you see a few huge benefits out of, out of it coming from a religion something focused around a a belief framework um primarily morals tend to be or sorry i won't even say morals um Beneficial behaviors tend to be continued and upheld for a much longer time, a much greater time frame. Um, you see dips in crimes that you know persist over time. You see um, dips in certain behaviors that can lead towards the end of a population disappear um or or you know significantly decrease um and and these are usually tied to a central text in any religion or uh, a few essential teachings um if you're including eastern religions as well um that they just uh, help the people in the area persist and continue very utilitarian i like it Thank you. Thank you for switching that up for me. I appreciate that. No problem. <laughs> but hey, um, I really dig this conversation, but we gotta I'm gonna wrap it up here. I honestly I gotta pee and I'm hungry. So uh right. <laughs> no, I really I really enjoyed picking your guys' brains on this. This is really uh interesting for me. And uh um I'm glad to have you on. Penguin, is there anything else you wanna get at before we skedaddle? Yeah. Um 
no, it was a great conversation. Thank you for coming on. Um, and I'd love to, to talk to you and also to any um, guests, since, since we haven't discussed religion. Um, and I'd love for you to participate in whatever, in those conversations, however you'd like to. Um, but just any questions about religion and spirituality that often don't come up in, in our um, in our content, on our feeds and stuff. Um, but if they have any questions or want to have a discussion, or even do like a little round roundtable discussion or a long thread. Whoever wants to do that, um, you're welcome to participate. You're welcome to, to participate, um, Awe. And uh, I think this has been a really, I think, I think kind of delving into this like part of things that I'm interested in has been a, a long time coming. So I'm glad you've been on the show to when our, it's like actually our 40th, what I would count, I would count this is our 40th episode. So very yeah. nice. That's very nice. Yeah, it's been a it's been a pleasure to be on here. Um, you guys have been great. Um, I love hearing different perspectives. This is my favorite thing to talk about, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. This is like my favorite subject is to have like a good, heartful, hearty discussion about religions where nobody's at each other's throat and is just screaming, "My religion's right, your religion's wrong. Go fuck yourself." And, and we're, we're coming to agreements on things. We're seeing common threads. I always love that. And, of course, you're always welcome to come on the I Hate the Antichrist podcast, especially if you come up with any uh, ideas for a nature of the Antichrist to talk about. And where can people find the I Hate the Antichrist podcast? So I have a website. It's uh, oeui.live. Um, my podcast is there. I have some music there, too. Um, and, uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. That's at O E U I dot or underscore live. Um, or, uh, you can follow just the podcast at I H T a cast. Right on. All right. Awesome. Well, again, man, thanks for coming on. I, I actually, I really enjoyed this conver uh, conversation and I'm with you. I, I kind of liked what, you know, how this went where, you know, nobody was, at each other's throats i didn't expect that anyway but it's it's really good to see and i think there needs to be more of that um and i overall i actually i learned a lot on this on this episode so i i was it was a lot of fun and uh we'll, we'll have you back on again sometime yeah pleasure thank you all right thanks bud take care all right Bye. peace guys